It is a great day for talk radio. Sue Ann Levy is going to join us here shortly, uh, as we are wont to do every Tuesday and Thursday, and she'll discuss, amongst other matters, fudging the numbers on the Woodbine bike lanes. And she's got a revelation or two on that front and more. Right now, uh, you know, the revelations that have been made about the inner workings of the Trump administration, albeit through anonymous sources, uh, we were just talking about that, but I wanted to go right down to Washington and uh, get... Uh, a sense for what the folks are saying there on that beat. Jackson Prosco is the Washington Bureau Chief with Global National, and he's joined the Oakley Show this afternoon at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Jackson, how you doing? Hey, John. Great to be with you. Always a pleasure. Uh, on the matter of this New York Times op-ed piece, Bob Woodward's book, Fear, a lot of anonymous sources being cited here, and uh, I was just wondering, you know, to your mind being a journalist, uh, where does this square with journalistic standards? Yeah, what I would say is that the developments of the past two days probably hold a lot more water than the previous sort of tell-all books that have come out about the Trump White House. And I'm talking specifically about the book by Omarosa and the book by Michael Wolff. What's different this time around is that Bob Woodward has a whole bunch of credibility, of course, not just because of his role in Watergate, but because of the way he operated in putting this book together, which is he relies on primary sources. He sits down, he talks with people, he tape records those conversations and basically says, I'm going to publish everything you tell me except your name. So in other words, he's putting a lot of weight behind that. Uh, And then this anonymous op-ed that the New York Times agreed to publish. You have to think that the Times would have gone to a pretty lengthy effort to verify that this person really is a senior administration official. They've got their own reputation on the line here. So again, I think it's worth putting some weight in that. I think the bottom line here, John, if you strip all the names away from all this, these two pieces that have come out this week, it kind of bolster the stories and the rumors and the innuendo that's been made about this White House for months now. It's just more evidence of a a case that's been built up over a long period of time. All right, so there's a critical mass. However, though, uh, Mattis, uh, Kelly, uh, these Pompeo, they've all denied actually having talked to and uh, the quotes attributed to them in the Woodward book. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the type of thing you would expect to see in a situation like this, that people would close ranks uh, around the president and and rush to his defense. Uh, But keep in mind that some of the things that are in Woodward's book are tales we've heard before, such as former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson reportedly describing the president as a moron. So uh, it's not surprising they would come out now and try and save their own hides. Uh, But I do think uh, it's very easy to dismiss this but it should be listened to at the same time. All right. Uh, For what it's worth, I don't know if Tillerson ever verified or validated that, but he did uh, leave shortly thereafter. I guess he was fired uh, in the aftermath of that. However, uh, that may be. uh, The question I was wondering, you know, when you have a resistance internally this way to an administration, is that something, you know, it's a whatever one may say or think about Donald Trump, he was duly elected. Does this maybe uh, suggest this subversion is a subversion of democracy in a sense. Well, you know, I don't think that anybody should be surprised that this is the point that we're at, because there was all this talk when Trump announced his candidacy, and you heard rumblings even from Republicans who said, this guy's not qualified to lead. Then when Trump won the nomination, they sort of kind of slowly came on board with it. And then when Trump won the presidency, even Republicans who had their doubts about Trump's leadership said, well, look, he's surrounding himself with good people like Jim Mattis uh, at the time, like Rex Tillerson, what people came to call the adults in the room. And so there was the sense that even though Trump was inexperienced and prone to act of in, acting impulsively, that he was surrounding himself with people who might control his worst instincts and sort of point him in the right direction. So the fact that we've ended up where we are now with people going on the record and saying, hey, that's exactly what's going on 
on here probably shouldn't be that big of a surprise. All right. When they're going on the record, though, let's stress again, it's anonymously. And uh, maybe therein lies part of the credibility issue. But leave it for now, because uh, somebody had raised the point that maybe it was Mike Pence because the word Lodestar had been used on six separate occasions, I guess, in speeches he had given. It turns out in the op-ed, it's, you know, somewhat of an arcane description uh, of things. And so what are you hearing on the ground in Washington? Uh, Who's the speculation surrounding? I mean, there's kind of a conga line of people <laughs> lining up to deny that they had anything to do with this. Uh, I don't have any specific speculation as to who it might be. But keep in mind, you know, senior administration official is not just necessarily members of the cabinet. They all have chief of staff. They all have uh, high-ranking people who work for them as well. In fact, there are hundreds of people who've been appointed to what you could consider fairly senior roles, even if you and I don't know their names. It's not to say that they don't have a, a significant place in the administration. Again, Jackson Pross goes with us, Washington Bureau Chief of Global National. On another matter, and uh, Justin Trudeau, I don't know if this is ill-advised, but he had suggested that we can't back off in the NAFTA Section 19 dispute, uh, or Chapter 19, the dispute, dispute resolution mechanism because uh, Donald Trump, quote, doesn't always follow the rules. I'm thinking, geez, I hope Trump isn't reading this stuff or he's distracted by something else going on. Uh, what's your sense, Jackson? Are we close to a deal? I was thinking we might be because uh, there's not a lot of heated rhetoric coming out these days. It looks like we're down to the 11th hour. Yeah, and in fact, if you want to go back to this whole idea of resistance, I think what you're seeing is this idea that foreign governments, like Canada's, realize they can get things accomplished if they work around the White House instead of working with the White House. And in this case, the trade reps that they're talking to, the people who are in that room, are the people that the Canadians and previously the Mexicans felt they could actually deal with, regardless of the rhetoric and the actions coming out of the president himself. So are we getting closer to a deal? I think we are trending in that direction. I should also point out that last week, of course, we heard uh, uh, President Trump come out and say, hey, we've got to deal with Mexico. And it was sort of this 12-page agreement in principle. I can tell you Mexico is probably not going to sign on to a finished NAFTA deal unless it includes Canada. In fact, last Friday, I was at the Canadian Embassy as Foreign Minister Christian Freeland was speaking. And as she wrapped up, the Mexican trade delegation showed up to meet with her. So I think Mexico is backing Canada in this, uh, and that's the long play here. And I think as we really drill down and get granular uh, and understand it, uh, the trade talk momentum has swung in Canada's favor because everybody now recognizes Congress needs to approve this. Congress uh, would want to see a trilateral deal. You had the leader of the AFL-CIO, Richard Trumka, on the weekend saying that the two economies, Canada and the States, are so inextricably tied together, uh, it's implausible that we would not be a part of the deal. So, again, you get the sense that uh, when cooler heads prevail or the serious adults cobble this together, we'll be a part of it. But are you surprised, last question, that Canada's cultural industries have come up as an issue and Justin Trudeau has even intimated he'd be willing to make concessions on supply management? Yeah, I'm not, because I think those are not necessarily hills that the Canadian team wants to die on. They really looked at this from the outset as modernizing NAFTA, bringing it into the 21st century, so it includes things like discussion of the Internet. That's what they're more concerned about right now. Uh, Some small concessions on dairy, if it moves the ball forward, I think would still be seen as a win uh, if, at the end of the day, they've pivoted Donald Trump away from throwing the deal out the window to, hey, we've got a new deal that actually recognizes that things like the Internet exist. All right. Jackson, we'll wait to see if you're prescient, uh, and this is uh, something that we'll have cobbled together, at least in principle, before the weekend. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Jackson Prosco, who is the Washington Bureau Chief with Global National.